on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. Many of the booths in the restaurant are named for uh, the celebrities that have come in and dined. So you mentioned a couple, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, we have uh, Elvis. We have Muhammad Ali, who celebrated uh, a couple of his birthdays with us. Uh, we have Mario Andretti, uh, who every year for SEMA likes to come in uh, and dine with us, which is fantastic. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 120 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I just wanted to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the last episode of the podcast, where I took a deep dive into Las Vegas's atomic history. It's a somewhat little-known fact that just as the Cold War was beginning to ramp up, the U.S. government tested nuclear weapons a little over 60 miles away from the Vegas Strip. These tests had a huge impact on Las Vegas and the state of Nevada, and it was fun sharing that story with you. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 119, Atomic Vegas, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, here we go. On to the show. As anyone who's ever listened to any of my Trip Report episodes knows, one of my favorite parts about visiting Las Vegas is the food. Over the last several years, Vegas has become a foodie's paradise, with dozens of new restaurants opening each year, featuring celebrity chefs and every cuisine you can possibly imagine. But you know what? No matter how hard you try, you just can't beat a classic. The Golden Steer, located just off the strip on Sahara Boulevard, is Las Vegas's oldest continually operating steakhouse. The restaurant opened back in 1958, and over the course of its almost 65-year history, has become legendary, not only for its amazing steaks, but for its incredible service, Old Vegas atmosphere, and its famous and infamous customers. Joining me for this episode of the podcast is Nick McMillan, managing partner of the Golden Steer. Nick and I talked about the early days of the Steer and how it became a celebrity hangout, the restaurant's place in Vegas mob history, what sets the Golden Steer apart from other Las Vegas steakhouses, and much, much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Nick McMillan of the Golden Steer. So the restaurant, uh, it originally opened in 1958, so... Uh, it's one of the, I believe it's the oldest restaurant on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, might be one of the oldest businesses, um, quite frankly, in Las Vegas Strip. But um, 1958, uh, start always been in the same location right there on Sahara Avenue. And original owners were, um, had been, in, from my understanding, had been in Vegas for um, a little bit of time and, and decided to open the restaurant. And it started from, uh, or started out as kind of like a Western frontier restaurant, as we like to call it. 
so uh, I think there were even some hitching posts out front. Uh, and so what ended up happening was folks are going kind of the wilderness of Vegas. Uh, and you can imagine Vegas in, in the 50s, uh, pretty small town, um, not a lot of things that had been built out. And so it, you didn't have to go far from where the restaurant is located to get out to the wilderness. So folks go out to the wilderness, do some hunting uh, and actually bring uh, anything that they caught or hunted back into the restaurant, take it back to the kitchen. The kitchen will prepare it. Uh, one of the most notable dishes uh, from that time actually was rattlesnake. Uh, so folks would hunt some rattlesnake and, and bring it in. Uh, and we actually, we, when we celebrated our 60th anniversary a couple of years ago, uh, we, we brought back some old menu items uh, and we searched and searched and we tried to find some rattlesnake, but we're, uh, we're unsuccessful at the time to, to bring it back. Uh, but uh, next year we're going to celebrate 65 years, so we might give another shot. So then how did the Golden Steer go from being a, a frontier restaurant where people were bringing in their own rattlesnake for the kitchen to prepare <laughs> and cook for them to being a, a celebrity hangout? Because that's one of the things that's, that's really kind of cool about the Golden Steer is that it, it has this reputation as being a place where celebrities did. And, and my understanding is still do come for dinner and, and come and, and spend time. How did that transition come to be? Yeah, so uh, the story goes that, uh, so, you know, back in the 60s, um, the the Rat Pack, of course, were in town, and one of the Rat Pack members was Sammy Davis Jr., uh, who, you know, because of the um, you know, ridiculousness of the times, wasn't really uh, invited to, to stay uh, on the strip. And so uh, he was driving to uh, North Las Vegas, uh, and at some point, uh, looked over and saw the sign for the Golden Steer, uh, came in. Uh, also at that time, Sammy wasn't invited to, he was generally eating in kitchens. Um, we didn't think that that was right or fair. You know, the owners at the time didn't think that was right or fair. And so invited him to, uh, to dine in the dining room. Uh, and so he did and had a great experience and kind of invited the rest of the, uh, the Rat Pack to come join him, um, which then brought kind of their, their posse, uh, along as well. Uh, and it's, uh, and that was, so that was, you know, in the sixties and, uh, it kind of just grew from there, uh, as they like to come up, you know, they were performing at the Sahara and the sands, uh, certainly Sahara being on the North end of the strip and, uh, coming over after shows for a late night steak and cocktail. Uh, and it's been fun. We've, I've talked to a number of customers that, um, have are are a little older and have been in the town for for decades and remember uh, a number of times of actually being in the restaurant when when Frank was there uh, and you know it was late at night and he was uh, a couple of drinks in and he was walking around and serenading tables um, and just kind of you know being the entertainer uh, that he was which you know, I would give, you know, almost anything to go back and, and enjoy a dinner to see Frank Sinatra kind of walking around uh, and doing a little bit of impromptu singing. Um, but that was kind of, uh, 
that was the the genesis of kind of how uh, the Rat Pack and, and of course Sammy found us, and uh, they all kind of their booths in the restaurant are all in the same area, uh, so you can easily imagine kind of walking in and seeing uh, them sitting down and enjoying a good uh, uh, a good martini or in Frank's case some some Jack Daniels uh, and enjoying a couple of steaks uh, is is easy to see when you walk in for sure. I still find it hard to wrap my head around the fact that at that period in Vegas history, Sammy Davis Jr. was running with this crowd, this this amazing, this legendary group with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Joey Bishop and and all over town performing. He could go up on stage and perform, but he had to go in through the back door and, and out through the back door. He couldn't eat in the restaurants. He couldn't gamble in the casinos. It, it was such a bizarre time of, of segregation in Vegas at that point. So it, it's it's pretty incredible that he was able to find the Golden Steer and and almost find a home there. It is, you know, fortuitous. And I think, uh, you know, there's, we, you know, technically the restaurant is not on the strip, right? We're probably a, a block off of Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, but, you know, that sign has been there, I think, since the beginning. Um, and so, you know, as you're kind of driving northbound on Las Vegas Boulevard, kind of looking left and right across Sahara, uh, which at the, actually, so the, the Golden Steer is in uh, Frisco Plaza. Uh, which harkens back to uh, Sahara Boulevard. It's called Sahara Boulevard right now, but back when the plaza was built, it was actually, I think it was San Francisco Avenue. Uh, I, I don't recall off the top of my head when the name changed. Uh, but yeah, you can kind of imagine uh, looking around and um, and seeing what else is out there. And, and, and you know, like I said, the, the, the original owner had been in town for uh, a little bit. And of course it was a small town at that, uh, at that time as well. So uh, yeah, just a, a fortuitous set of circumstances for sure. We've uh, we very briefly kind of hit on some of the celebrities who have uh, spent time at the golden steer. Of course, we talked Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, Sammy Davis, Jr. Dean Martin, um, lots of other folks, athletes, uh, actors, performers, entertainers. Um, what were some of the, the favorite menu items of all of these famous folks that have spent time at the steer? And are those items still available today? It's interesting. So the, the story with Elvis is that, um, when he, uh, was first coming to town, you know, he was not quite as popular as he became to be. Uh, and so he would actually come in and, and sit at the bar, um, which at the time uh, was not where it currently is. Uh, it was actually um, off of our main dining room. And he would sit at the bar and, and enjoy a burger. Uh, and after he, you know, of course, continued rocketing to, to stardom and fame, uh, he, he then transitioned into the main dining room and, and enjoyed some steaks. Uh, and it, uh, I, I think that was the last time that a burger was served, uh, in the golden steer, uh, was with Elvis. So, um, so in that case, not on the menu anymore. Um, of course, everyone has, uh, loves kind of the table side Caesar salad, uh, the shrimp cocktail, um, the New York strip, uh, is something that has been on the menu for decades, uh, and uh, was one of Sinatra's favorite dishes uh, with a little bit of tomato on top, uh, sauteed tomato. So, um, you know, the earliest menu that we have is from, I think, 1960, the early 60s, I will say. Uh, and 
it's wild to see. I mean, of course, the prices have changed a little bit, um, but by and large, I would say about 60% of the menu is uh, is the same. Uh, it's always it's always been a establishment and restaurant that has prided itself on uh, great wholesome ingredients, uh, simply prepared uh, with uh, with a blend of uh, of hopefully uh, amazing hospitality uh, and warmth, and so. Uh, and even that, you know, harkens back to, to some of the early, and we have some menus, I think from the seventies and eighties as well. Uh, so it's always fun to kind of go back and see what, uh, what the, the plate of the day was. Uh, I think it's sometimes we served pheasant. Yeah. A couple of other, uh, crazy menu items, uh, over the, we talked about the rattlesnakes or rattlesnake, of course, um, as well. And you guys still honor those celebrities as well, which I thought was really cool. I mean, when my wife and I went there for dinner uh, a few years ago, we sat in Joe DiMaggio's booth and it was really kind of cool to sit, to, to look around and see that again, you guys have held on to that heritage. And I mean, how cool would it be to, to be able to tell your friends that you had dinner sitting in Frank Sinatra's booth? It is, it is. And you know, we, we have a, a, Many of the booths in the restaurant are named for uh, the celebrities that have come in and dined. So you mentioned a couple, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, we have uh, Elvis. We have Muhammad Ali, who celebrated uh, uh, a couple of his birthdays with us. Uh, we have Mario Andretti, uh, who every year for SEMA likes to come in uh, and dine with us, which is fantastic. Um Ralph Lamb, who was a sheriff here uh, for a long, long time and uh, uh, did his battles with the mob and the the craziness of the 70s and 80s. And so, so yeah, so it's, and of course, the Rat Pack. Um, And, you know, we also have some other folks uh, that are um, a little more recent. So Terry Fader, the famous entertainer and puppeteer and comedian, uh, has a booth. Uh, Mr. William Baxter, who uh, has one of my favorite stories, who is a professional poker player uh, and actually uh, sued the United States federal government, um, arguing that, I believe, arguing that, um, that poker is a game of skill uh, and not a game of chance. And so it should be taxed as a... Uh, as income instead of gambling winnings. Uh, and actually, I, I believe it went all the way to the Supreme Court uh, and he ended up prevailing uh, and so changed kind of the tax structure for, for poker players, which uh, Vegas is is still a very libertarian, kind of wild west town um, in, in some respects. And so uh, that is uh, always a fun story that I like to to, to tell people because most like most people that come in, they'll recognize, you know, Frank Sinatra or Muhammad Ali or an Elvis um, or, or Sammy Davis, but don't recognize the name Baxter. And so it's always a fun story to tell. So what happens then when say, for example, I as a huge uh, race car fan and uh, motorsports enthusiast phone, you guys and say, I would like to sit in Mario Andretti's booth and you say, fine, that's fine. Here it is. It's available on this date. And then after I make that reservation, uh, Mr. Andretti calls and says, Hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd like to come have dinner and I want to sit in my booth. Um, (laughs) How does that go down? Uh, Do I get moved? Does Mr. Andretti get moved? Uh, How is that handled? Uh, You know, it's funny. So, you know, we always uh, will, we'll do everything that we can to accommodate. Um, And and normally they're pretty good about calling and give us uh, a little bit of advanced notice. Uh, The funny story. uh, So the, so the restaurant has been in my, 
my in-laws family for about 20 plus years. Uh, my wife and I came out a year before COVID to, to take it over. And the, the funny story about actually Mario Andretti with my father-in-law is that right after my father-in-law had picked up the restaurant, um, somebody claiming to be Mario Andretti called and, uh, and he answered the phone and uh, the, the gentleman on the other line was like, hi, this is Mario Andretti. I'd like to come in for dinner tonight. And my father-in-law is, uh, uh, you know, a little skeptical, like Mario Andretti is called to make a reservation. And so my father-in-law was like, all right, well, if you're Mario Andretti, I'm Wyatt Earp. Uh, and so I'll, I'll see you tonight when you, when you come into the restaurant. And so my father-in-law was sitting in the, uh, sitting in the office and, uh, one of the hosts comes in and knocks on the door and says, uh, somebody's at the door and they're asking for, for Wyatt Earp. Uh, and so, so he walks out and, uh, and sure enough, Mario Andretti is, uh, is uh sitting uh is standing there waiting for waiting for his table and so uh it's it's kicked off a a, a, a good natured friendship with uh with him and he always likes to come in and support uh and uh it's a ton of fun and so yes we always uh always like to make room for uh for those folks and uh we certainly appreciate their support as well let's talk a little bit about the connection between the mob and the golden steer Vegas, of course, synonymous with mob history. I've covered it in depth in the podcast. I've had numerous discussions about various, uh, various facets of, of mob history and that, that connection in Las Vegas. Um, the golden steer has a very dubious connection with one particular mobster. And that would be the legendary Tony Spilatro. Old Mr. Spilatro. Yeah. So, um, so I, there is uh, a number of, of great resources out on uh, Tony Spilatro. Um, so he's originally from Chicago. I'm originally from Chicago as well. Um, but anyway, so in the 70s, so he came out to be an enforcer for the Chicago mob and um, needed some other things to do and wanted to make a little side money. And so he actually opened up a jewelry shop where he would fence his stolen goods, which was called the Gold Rush. And the gold rush was actually very close to the golden steer. Uh, and so he would come in on a, on a frequent basis, um, whether it was for business dinners or for, uh, you know, with his crew uh, to come and enjoy. Uh, and of course, his, his, one of his number one hitman was Frank Collada uh, in the story of, of, of uh Frank Lotta is, is crazy as well. You know, the history that he had both uh, in the mob and then, of course, his, his time after the mob. Um, but they used to love to come to the Golden Steer. Uh, they would come in about once a week. Uh, we uh, Booth one uh, is, is where they used to like to sit. Uh, it's in the corner of the restaurant, uh, so you can get a great purview of the entire restaurant. It's also close to, at the time, um, when they first started coming in, there hadn't been some expansion done. And so uh, there was a kind of a back hallway uh, that wove through the kitchen and was an easy way to escape uh, if, uh, if that was <laughs> a necessity. And uh, we believe that he actually celebrated his last meal in Vegas, the Golden Steer, uh, the night before he flew back to the Midwest. 
before he met his uh, his demise. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we've kind of the nickname of kind of the Last Supper has kind of uh, has kind of stuck. And so, um, you know, so that was that was on the splotcher side. And then, of course, Frank used to come in as well uh, with Tony, and then afterwards um, without him, uh, and even up to I think he passed away. I think it was the summer. It was one of the last couple of summers. Um, but even before, right, you know, up, right up until uh, the time that he passed, he he would come in uh, and would request uh, one very specific waiter to wait on him, who's one of our longest tenured employees. He's been with us for almost forty years, um, and uh, and yeah, so it's always you know I will say that you know the thing that with the steer is that we were always known as uh, as kind of neutral ground. Uh, and so, uh, we generally would see, uh, folks from, you know, there were various mob families that were, uh, in Vegas throughout the years. Uh, but the, the restaurant remained, uh, decidedly neutral. Uh, and so we would see folks from, from kind of across the families, but of course, uh, Mr. Splotcher being, uh, the most well-known, uh, for sure. You mentioned the, uh, the staff there briefly and having a staff member that's been, at the restaurant for 40 plus years i'm assuming he is your longest serving staff member he is he is i think it's been it's tied between him it's well i I don't know about tied, but it's very close between him and our uh executive chef sergio uh who are both i think 35 plus years um and so it's it's you know it's fun that we have you know front of house and back of house. Um, but yeah, uh, Vanko is uh, one of our most requested servers. There's a tremendous amount of stories. He's been in the city um, for a long time. He was in, in Vegas long before um, uh, he started at the Golden Steer all those years ago. Uh, but yeah, it's been with us for, for almost 40 years now. I can only imagine the stories that he would have. And I mean, it's got to be crazy when he start serving a table. And I know for me personally, if I have a server, that's interesting. I mean, you want to hear the stories and you want to talk to them, but at the same time, you got to understand they got jobs to do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he does a tremendous job. uh, And it is an art form uh, of, uh, you know, and he's, I think there was, we were talking with him a couple weeks ago and trying to estimate the number of Caesar salads that he has made. And we think it's somewhere on the order of like hundreds of thousands. I think the number we came up with is like a quarter of a million Caesar salads that he has made in his lifetime. Uh, and it's, it's one of the special things of, I think about the golden steer is, and this table side service is that you have this built in kind of opportunity to have uh, to hear a little bit uh, of stories about the restaurant. Um, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, Vanko is, uh, is requested so often is because he does have those stories and he did wait on those, uh, those celebrities that have, that have come through the door. Um, and, you know, has, and, you know, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier that, you know, Frank Collada would, would really only allow um, uh, Vanko to wait on him. And so uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. And I think it adds to kind of that ambiance and that service uh, that people have come to love about the steer is, uh, is that element, that element of personality uh, and that they're right there for, you know, two to three minutes as they're preparing, which what is also a fabulous salad, 
but then also kind of getting the experience and the stories uh, uh, during that time. And so he Vanger does a tremendous job of uh, ensuring to spend some time and, and tell a story or two, uh, but then also being able to to uh, to ensure that all the rest of the tables are getting uh, the service that uh, that they come to expect. That kind of longevity at a restaurant is, I mean, never mind a Vegas restaurant, but a restaurant period is is unheard of. What do you think it is that keeps people there for that length of time? Uh, so that's a that's a great question, and I think you know we, I think the the type of restaurant that that the sphere is is one element of it, right? There's not, and especially in Vegas, in a town that things transition so quickly uh there aren't a lot of things that have been around for a while uh and so i think that's one element the old school service that we keep you know the white tablecloths and the the red leather banquettes uh and the booths are all things that people love and enjoy um and i i I think uh you know we we strive uh to to you know treat everyone and ensure that we are providing a good uh, environment for folks um, so that they can build uh, careers uh, with us at the golden steer. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, so that I think those are some of the reasons. And I would say, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, I would say kind of familial atmosphere. Of course, we're a family owned business. There's not many of them in Vegas and certainly not many on the strip, um, which I think is a, is a unique element. Uh, we also have a lot of brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles, uh, not of us, but kind of, of, of other staff members, uh, that are, uh, that are employed, uh, and which I think is a part of it too, right? It, it, it creates kind of that sense of um, almost that sense of family, uh, if you will. Uh, and, and sometimes in a, in a very literal sense. And so I, I think all of those things kind of come together and, you know, the magic of, of Vegas, you know, not being from Vegas uh, and then coming out here, you know, what struck me, one of the things that struck me the most was just how much Vegas is a story town. Everyone here seems to have a story. Um, and so, I think the the opportunity to 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 be in a an establishment that kind of celebrates the stories and lore of Las Vegas um, is is something as well uh, for for you know and we you know we you know we we talked about Banco we talked about Sergio that have been with us for you know almost forty years uh, but we have you know a number of other staff members that have been with us for you know twenty five twenty fifteen uh, years and so it it kind of builds kind of into that culture of folks that, uh, you know, they come in, they work tremendously hard um, and, you know, are able to, to stick with us for, for a long time, which, which we, of course, appreciate. After the break, Nick shares his thoughts on why it is that in a city that seems to be in continuous transition, the Golden Steer has remained a constant presence in Las Vegas. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. We touched briefly on the um, the transitional nature of Vegas, whether it's uh, it's the people or uh, the businesses and the establishments. I mean, it's not uncommon for um, e- even frequent visitors like myself to to go to town, find a place that we really, really like, 
And then on our next visit, poof, the place is gone, vanished from existence. And really, Vegas has been through a lot over the last several decades from trying to uh, reinvent itself as a family-friendly destination to um, global crises like 9-11 and then financial crashes that resulted in huge drops in, in visitorship. And then, of course, most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet somehow... The Golden Steer has continued to persevere. I'm going to ask the question that's probably been asked dozens of times. How? How has the Steer survived all of these different things? Yeah, you know, uh, we we do get that question quite frequently. Um, and I think, you know, uh, you know, first and foremost, tremendous hats off in respect to, uh, you know, both the previous owner uh, and my father-in-law for um, getting through some very hard times, um, you know, Vegas through, you know, the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s was a, was a challenging, challenging um, time. And, you know, there were lots of ups and downs. Um, and, you know, certainly I think my father-in-law, the, the restaurant, uh, they kind of closed like a week or two or some short time right before 9-11. Uh, and so, of course, that that hit the town very hard. Um, and, you know, I remember talking to guests that would come in um, right after that, uh, right after 9-11. And, you know, telling me that, oh, the, I remember there was only, you know, four people here. Cause you know, Vegas was a ghost town. And so no one was, no one was out. Um, and so, you know, it took, um, it was challenging and quite frankly, it took a lot of money to, to kind of get through that. And so, uh, and patience and, you know, then of course Vegas recovered through the two thousands. And then, you know, we had the, the awful crash of, of 08 and 09, which hit the city tremendously hard. Uh, it took, you know, almost a decade for real estate values to recover and things to kind of come back. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I think it's, it, you know, it has certainly been through its fair share of, of ups and downs through, uh, throughout the years. And I think, uh, a sense of fortitude and, um, you know, kind of just digging in and saying, we're not going to, uh, not going to let this thing, um, you know, whatever this thing be, whether it was, uh, you know, craziness of the seventies or nine 11 or the great, you know, the great financial recession of 08 and 09 or COVID quite frankly. And so, um, you know, it seems the hope is that with each, uh, thing that we manage to survive that, uh, that the restaurant becomes uh, a little stronger, a little hardened against, uh, against anything the future might throw against us. So it's been a wild time. Uh, there's some, like I said, there's some crazy stories of, you know, customers remember coming in with, with three or four tables being full um versus now you know we're fortunate that we're booking up a uh, for prime time a couple of weeks in advance and so uh it's bad and you know you know I, I should say you know of course the you know the previous owners the collusions father-in-law um have done a tremendous job and and we also uh, appreciate and support and respect the staff for kind of sticking with us right we talked about bank on sergio being with us for 40 years through some of those trying times and so um there's there's also an element of a kind of everyone kind of digging in um and and kind of pushing through which uh, again is is incredibly appreciated 
do you think that you guys being a um, a family run place, a, a small business, have a little bit of an advantage over some of the big corporate places in that I sometimes wonder if the the smaller businesses are a little more willing to to ride out the tough times. I mean, it's not that you guys aren't looking at your bottom line. You're not looking at profits and losses and, and money and things like that, but you're maybe willing to 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 just ride it out a little bit longer than say one of the big corporately run celebrity chef places inside a casino where a casino might look at that and say, we're losing money here. We could tear this place out and put 50 slot machines in and make the money back that way, as opposed to quote unquote, wasting the space on a money losing venture. I think so. Of course I'm a little biased, but uh, I think so. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's our livelihood. uh, And so versus the, so we are just fundamentally going to approach and think about it differently um, versus, you know, a, a large corporation um, is going to look at it kind of probably just, you know, the APL is going to be the main driver there. Um, and they're going to, you know, make their livelihood in, in some other capacity. And so I, I think it, not only does it, does it uh, provide us a different, kind of decision-making calculus, um, but it also allows us to be far more nimble uh, in what we want to, what we want to do, how we want to figure things out. Um, and one example that I, I, is kind of an interesting one um, to use, but so during the pandemic, of course, uh, we had capacity restrictions that we, like all restaurants that we're uh, grappling with. And so, you know, one of the things that we did to try and make it you know, uh, I would say, um, make it a little more Las Vegas, uh, was we brought in mannequins. Uh, and so in the booths that we kept empty, we put mannequins that looked like the booth that they were sitting in. So we had, you know, in the Joe, we shut down the Marilyn Monroe booth. And so we had a mannequin that looked like Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio. And we got, you know, the, the New York Yankees, uh, Jersey that we put on Joe DiMaggio and we, uh, you know, got a dress for Marilyn and we had Elvis sitting in his booth and, uh, you know, we had some folks that looked close enough to the Rat Pack sitting in some of their booths and, you know, just trying to have, you know, bring a little levity to the situation for one, but also kind of make it, you know, add to the experience, which um, because we are at a smaller scale uh, allows us to do uh, certainly a little more streamlined and also to make that decision a little quicker, right? We didn't have to go get it approved from, you know, six different budgets. We could just say, Hey, we're going to go do this. And, you know, we worked with a wonderful uh, local company, uh, Las Vegas mannequins who, you know, I, I'm not from this town. Uh, and so it was surprising to me, but they, that is what they do. They have this uh, enormous warehouse that, that, uh, that provides mannequins for, for all walks of, uh, of ideas. Uh, and so it was, it was news. It was slightly surprising that, uh, that there was a small business in Vegas dedicated to it, but, uh, it was tremendous and it was great to work with them. Your phone call is probably not the strangest phone call they've ever gotten. So. <laughs> So definitely not. Definitely, I can't imagine over the years the the, the stories that they have of what folks have asked for. Um, so ours uh, was probably pretty tame in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> uh, for people who haven't been to the Golden Stair, I mean, I I've been. My wife and I went uh, a couple of years ago for a birthday dinner, and it was. I mean, this was it was twenty. 
2019 when we went, December 2019. So coming up almost three years. And my wife and I still talk about that experience uh, eating there. And and when we go out and we share Vegas stories with friends, we talk about the 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 table side preparation of the Caesar salad and the the bananas foster and the the person next to us at the table that ordered fish, which I say is crazy ordering fish at a steakhouse. But they them ordering fish the way it was filleted table side by a guy with a fork and a spoon that made us want to order fish from a steak restaurant. And so, I mean, for folks that haven't been and haven't had that experience, what what really sets the 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 golden steer apart from from any other steakhouse in Vegas? I mean, is it the food? Is it the atmosphere? Is it the staff? Is it all of the above? So, you know, the easy answer um, and probably the less exciting answer is all of it, right? I, I think it truly is all of that. Um, I think you know we get we get a tremendous amount of compliments, of course, on the food and the the uh, the the men and women in the, in the kitchen do uh, from top to bottom, from dishwasher up through executive chef, do a tremendous job um, of producing a, an incredible product on a highly consistent basis. Um, but we also get just a tremendous amount of compliments on the service. Um, and I think, you know, I think that is one of the things that helps sets us apart um, is this, uh, this, this, intense focus on service, right? So, you know, the way that we do service is broken up into teams. Um, and so, but each team is, uh, is comprised of three servers that are all um, kind of equal, if you will. And yes, they kind of, on a given night, they will um, kind of divvy up the jobs, you know, uh, for how they're going to do it. But, but every server can do every position. Um, and I think that brings a tremendous uh, energy and and just level of experience to it um and you know and that we and we continue to strive to ensure of course that the restaurant looks the way that it has over the years but of course uh you know still has uh, looks tremendous and um doesn't look doesn't show its age right of course we want it to look like vintage vegas but we don't want it to look like it's actually, you know, the stuff is from the seventies. And so we, we do a tremendous amount of, uh, we spend a lot of time, effort and energy, um, polishing and ensuring that, that things look great. Um, so I, th- I think those are, you know, I think, I do think because we are family owned, uh, we can, you know, bring that sense of, of, uh, kind of independentness, if you will, to um, to an area that just doesn't have that much. Uh, you know, it certainly used to or has over the years, but there's there's not very many uh, independent restaurants that are left at least closer on the strip. And and I think we believe that there is an element to kind of the old school dining, the the white tablecloths. Uh, we we have a dress code that we um, that we enforce. Uh, and it's, you know, we also acknowledge that we're in Vegas, right? So we can't, uh, you know, so shorts are okay. Uh, as long as they're not athletic shorts. Um, we, we don't allow open toed shoes for gentlemen. Um, but I think to, to that end, um, but we try and provide an option, right? So we have these little, uh, kind of, um, booties for lack of a better term, um, that we provide to folks so that they can still have their experience. And I think it's, it's that little element of like, Hey, here's, Here's kind of the 
the rules and, and the dress code for it. Um, but in an element of hospitality, we don't, we don't want to turn, we never want to turn folks away. Um, and so we try and provide some, some optionality for folks to be able to still enjoy their experience. And I think it's, it's going that kind of extra mile that I think is a, is a tremendous part of it as well. When you talk about handing out little little booties, uh, temporary shoes, if you will, to uh, to people who aren't wearing the appropriate footwear, it, it it reminds me of every sitcom or movie where somebody shows up at the exclusive country club or the exclusive restaurant where the rule is you have to be wearing a jacket and they're not wearing one, so they have like a whole a whole room full of jackets that you can wear as as loner jackets to try on while you're while you're sitting there enjoying your time at the club. <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, most folks are completely understand and, uh, have a good laugh about it. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I think it's, you know, it's that element. It's, it's the element of let's get dressed up and, and let's go to dinner. Uh, and, you know, we, we make it an experience. We talk about, and, you know, we're fortunate enough that we, that the restaurant has been around for 64 years and all of these crazy things have happened both in the town and in the restaurant, um, and it has kind of that weight of history, uh, which, which is fun. And, you know, the table we talked about, but like the table side Caesar salad and the, the table side, you know, uh, the preparation for the, the Dover sole or the, you know, the Chateau Briand that gets carved table side and the, the bananas foster that will flambe or the cherries jubilee that will flambe. And so, uh, you know, it ends up becoming kind of that dinner and almost a show element. And, you know, to, to have Vanco make your Caesar salad on, you know, it's just 271st you know, Caesar salad and to tell you about, you know, some of the stories and celebrities that, uh, that he's weighed on over the years, I think kind of just adds to that mystique and that, um, that kind of element that makes it, uh, that makes it special. Well, as I say, it's been almost three years since my wife and I had had dinner at the golden steer and we still, we're still talking about it to this day. And my wife swears up and down that it's the best steak that she's ever had, which I'll freely admit I take a little bit personally because I like to believe that I cook a mean steak. But <laughs> in all honesty, it, it was the best steak that I've ever had as well. And it was just such an incredible experience. Everything from, um, you know, we talked about the service and the fact that at any given time we had like three waiters waiting on us and and serving us and, and treating us like family. It was it really was just a, an incredible dining experience and one that, that we, we will probably never forget. Oh, we appreciate that immensely. And, you know, I, you know, so we it would be remiss if I didn't talk, of course, for a steakhouse, I didn't talk a little bit about kind of the beef and the steak. And so, uh, so we hand carve uh, virtually all of our steaks, right. And they're, they're cut that day. And so we get the sub primals in. So we, you know, for, for ribeyes, which is our signature cut, we get the full rib in and, and then we slice it up for, uh, for service that day. So that, you know, the steak that you're eating or any customer is eating on a given day probably was cut that day. Uh, and so there's an element of freshness to it. Uh, and we, you know, it's interesting. We cook all of our steaks on a broiler, um, which, you know, I, you know, I love to cook a steak on a grill, of course. But the interesting thing and the thing that I love and have come to appreciate about broiler cooking is, um, one, it's very easy to, you know, the, the, 
the kind of the stainless steel tray and grates that the steak is sitting on is adjustable so we can move it um, further or closer to the heat as needed. Uh, but also the heat sources from above. Right. And so one of the challenges, especially with well marbled beef, so we only use USDA prime beef, um, is you get flare ups, right? The fat melts down and, and especially in a grill cooking, it, it can cause flare ups, which can cause some bad charring uh, if you're not very careful. And so one of the things that I think is tremendous about broiler cooking, especially, you know, and they're commercial broilers, so they start out a tremendous amount of heat, so you still get a good a good char, um, is that you don't get those flare-ups, right? All of the grease melts down, the heat source is coming from above, and so you don't have to worry um, about that element. And so I think, uh, I think that's super unique. And, you know, we wet age our beef for, uh, you know, a minimum of 28 days, which... Uh, allows the beef to get tender, right? I think it's not something that is easily, that you can easily find um, because you kind of have to sit on that product for a little bit. Uh, and so we, it, it, it brings a great amount of tenderness, especially to something like a ribeye, right? Where a ribeye is fatty and that's why you're ordering it because it, you know, has this great amount of marbling. Um, and, you know, in between the rib cap, there's that uh, kind of vein of fat as well. But one of the great things about wet aging is it kind of allows that to break down a little bit uh, and tenderize the beef, which is, you know, just, uh, which is perfect, uh, especially at a ribeye. Uh, so, so it's, you know, and we've, you know, the other question we get a lot is, you know, where do we get our beef? And we've, we've worked with the same supplier for as long as really anyone can remember. Uh, so the current president of the company started as a sales rep decades ago, and he remembers the golden steer being a uh, customer uh, at that time. And so, you know, we have a, a great relationship with them. Our cattle comes from, uh, you know, the Midwest. So Nebraska and, and Eastern Colorado and, um, and it's a ton of fun. And, you know, we've, since you've dined with us, uh, the one thing that we have added is a, a special. So we have a tomahawk now. Uh, it's about 40 ounces. Uh, it comes from Creekstone Farms, which uh, one of the unique things about Creekstone is it does actual genetic testing uh, of all of its heads of cattle to ensure uh, you know that it's it is truly pure black Angus, uh, which is, or Angus beef, and so that gives it that marbling that we all want. And so it is a tremendous cut, uh, and it's a ton of fun, of course, for it to get served because it comes with a long bone, and we slice it up in the kitchen, and uh, comes with a little bit of salt, and it's just a perfect uh, a perfect way, a, a perfect and of course, you know, it's forty ounces, so it's a it's enough for a dip for two. You say it's enough for two, but I'm willing to try to take that bad boy down. <laughs> <laughs> from time to time we do get someone in that uh that wants to uh that wants to tackle it and i will say you know from an ounces perspective it's not you know you can you know 40 ounces is a lot um but it also it's it's at the end of the day it's a tomahawk ribeye and so it has a good amount of fat as well uh, now the fat is delicious but that can also <laughs> yeah. make it a little challenging uh, but it is one of my favorite cuts for sure I'm starting to drool on my keyboard here, Nick. So I think we should probably wrap this up. Um, <laughs> what's what's in store for the Golden Steer? What's uh, what's in the future for the restaurant? Yeah, so for 
the location on 308 Sahara is just continuing to do uh, more of, of everything that we have done um, for the past 64 years. Um, we'll, uh, we, we don't see much changes there, of course. Um, during COVID, we launched a, an e-commerce company, so the Golden Steer Steak Company, uh, which uh, we ship our steak, seafood, and seasoning nationwide. Uh, so we've been doing that for uh, we just passed two years. Uh, which has been going really well, uh, really helping us to kind of talk about the golden steer at a national level um, and allow, you know, the, the pandemic was was challenging for everyone, right? Um, of course, for us in the restaurant industry, but I think for the entire world. Uh, and so we tried to figure out how to navigate and manage these, you know, unprecedented times. And so one of the things that we all kind of looked at each other and said is, if people can't come to Vegas, then let's bring Vegas to them. And so, you know, steaks and seafood, we have some of the sides, of course, that we'll ship as well. Um, seasonings and, and really, and, and, you know, we did it with the golden steer touch, right? And so, uh, you know, some of the boxes have some embroidered napkins uh, that come with uh, in the box. And they all come with like, you know, a Spotify playlist that that is, you know, sounds of the steer. So you can set it up to, to, to you know, to set the mood. Uh, and so uh, it's been a ton. And, you know, I think that's a great example of the the question that we, that we talked about earlier. How do we stay nimble? Or what are the advantages of being kind of small and independent is that we can be very nimble um, and kind of make some of those investments. And so, uh, you know, for the, what does the future hold? I think, you know, we... Uh, we now have this national presence with uh, with the state company and can reach you know all in the forty eight contiguous states. Uh, we can't quite ship to Canada yet, but I certainly as soon as we as soon as we're able to to, to figure that one out, I will let you know. Um, but who knows? I think there's uh, there is we believe a, a tremendous amount of demand for the old type of this old school fine dining. Uh, and so we'll kind of see where that takes us uh, here, uh, here in the next couple of years. But, uh, but certainly for the Las Vegas location, we will continue to, to do what we've been doing for the past 64 years, hopefully for another 64 years. Excellent. Nick, thank you so much again for, uh, for taking time to jump on. I really do appreciate it. And uh, next time I'm in town, man, I want to tackle that tomahawk. <laughs> please do. Uh, please let us know when you're coming into town. And thank you very much for uh, for having me on today. It's been awesome to, to, to chat with you, get to know you, and, uh, and chat a little bit about the Golden Steer. If you want to learn more about the Golden Steer Steakhouse and make a reservation for your next visit to Vegas, you can check out their website at goldensteerlasvegas.com. Also, be sure to follow them on Facebook at Golden Steer Las Vegas and on Twitter and Instagram at Golden Steer LV. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. <laughs>